Networking and marketing made simple is for you, the business owner who has a product, a service, or a message that you believe in. My name is Scott Aaron, and each week we'll take a behind the scenes look into the real world marketing and networking tactics and strategies for getting what you have in front of you to a lot more people. Thanks for spending time with me. And now let's get started. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Networking and Marketing Made Simple. Super excited for today's episode for a number of reasons. It's always great when I can get a, a friend to come on here. That's um, not only a friend, but she is Instagram famous, whether she wants to recognize it or not. And we'll include her handle, um, you know, in the episode so you can go check her out. She, for anyone that watches my reels, and I know a lot of you do, she is the person who challenged me to start doing Instagram reels. So um, you have her to thank, not me. You can thank her for why I'm doing reels. And uh, she is a, a relationship expert. Nancy and I had the honor and privilege of um, doing some uh, interviews with her on her show because, you know, she's always been intrigued by how Nancy and I work behind the scenes. Everyone sees how we work in front of the camera, but how are things working behind the camera? And uh, I'm excited for today's interview because this person is just a wealth of knowledge. And I think not enough people are talking about relationships and the inner workings of, you know, how to find happiness in, in all the ups and downs in, in life personally, but also uh, as a couple. So with that being said, Amber Dawson, welcome to today's episode. Oh, thanks so much for that amazing introduction. So happy to be here with you. I'm so glad you're making reels. Um, yep. So, so glad I could inspire you to get, to get those out in the world. You did. And, and as we said in the pre-show, we're getting her done. That's what it's about. Just <laughs> get, get the content out there. And, and again, you know, obviously people know LinkedIn's my jam, but you know, I am omnipresent, you know, I am going to do things that are fun because I have an entertaining side to myself and uh, I'm not going to withhold myself from doing that. So um, but thank you again for the inspiration and the encouragement to do so. So you're like me, you are now also psychologically unemployable and you yes. have a lot of great things going on. You have your own practice, you have online courses, you have coaching programs, you're doing so many amazing things. Well, let's go back before we go forward. You know, what was the, the, the journey like for Amber? to get to where she is right now, but more specifically, what do you feel was that, you know, catalytic moment for you that set you on this path of, you know what, I want to kind of do things my way. I want to carve out my own path. I want to blaze my own trail and I want to have a business that I love, that I can grow, that I can scale and help as many people as possible. Ooh, such a great question. Okay. Well, this is like a kind of a milestone day. So yesterday, 15 years ago, yesterday, the addict in my life went into drug and alcohol treatment. Um, I was already in a psychology degree, not because I knew what psychology was just because my parents said, if I didn't go to school, they were going to take away my car. So I went into psychology, but I had no idea what it was. Um, so I was already in psychology when, um, my brother who's a recovering alcoholic went into treatment. I was living in the family home at the time. And because he went into treatment, I had to participate as well. So that meant for nine months, I went to treatment as well for about 12 hours a week. Um, I, when you're in like a treatment setting with your family system, 12 hours a week, like you're quite immersed in therapy and your life changes. 
Um, being immersed in this program changed my life, shaped who I am today, and radically changed everything about me. Although I was already in psychology, it wasn't until I went through that that I was like, oh, now, now I'll put this to use. This is what I want to do. This is my life's calling. This is my life's mission. I saw my brother who I thought was going to be someone that ended up dead before he was 20 years old. Now he's alive, thank gosh, in the world. Um, you know, just celebrated his 15 years clean and sober this week. Um, and the one thing that was really hard is when you live with an addict, they're like, it's like you're in a car accident, they're in the driver's seat, you're in the passenger seat, they hit a brick wall, but you're still injured. Um, I thought like, you know, I built up all these coping, coping mechanisms, thought I was perfect, but then, you know, got to treatment and figured out I wasn't, I had a, had a lot of, had a lot of problems and just had a lot of guards up. So it was through that experience that, um, really got me into therapy. And then because my relationships, as you can imagine, being in a family system with addiction, wasn't great. Um, uh, relationships were something I struggled with. So then I struggled with into, I started out loving family therapy because that was kind of what I did. And then that shifted into, as I tried to have relationships, realizing I wasn't good at them uh, and really having to hit the, the research to figure out how do I learn how to have a great relationship? Because my model for what a relationship is, is not very good. So through that whole experience, I worked at that treatment center for five years um, after my family went through there. And then I quit. Um, once I became a psychologist, I stopped working there. And then I went to find a job that wasn't at the treatment center and I couldn't get one. I remember finishing my master's degree uh, in marriage and family therapy, applying to job after job, after job, after job, after job, and like could not get a job and just feeling really defeated. Like, okay, great. Now I have this master's degree and I can't get a job. Am I destined to be a server? Like, what am I going to do? So then I just started working with at a private practice for someone else. So basically working for myself and was applying for jobs the whole time, um, but just didn't get one, didn't get one, didn't get one. And so really just started being an entrepreneur before I knew about entrepreneurship, trying to go out, get my own clients. I was using Twitter. I don't use Twitter anymore, but just like trying to figure out how do you get them? And I was kind of getting them and it was working out. I got another part-time job, which I worked for a little while, but didn't pay as much as being working for myself. So I quit that eventually to just work for myself. Um, and things really changed in, in 2020. So if I fast forward a whole bunch of years, I'd worked for some other group practices, basically working for yourself within these practices. Um, and there's like a split percentage of your income. So, you know, you get X amount and then the practice gets X amount of your whatever gets brought in. But in 2020, we're in the pandemic. So um, I was actually in Chile when the pandemic broke out. So we had to leave Chile, come back home. And suddenly we went from working in office to working in our houses. And I was paying for admin support staff. I was paying for um, just like the system they use. And I was like, why am I paying this split? Like I, I already get a lot of my own clients. I don't need the office space. I basically um, work for myself anyway. Like why don't I just, that now seems like the perfect time to have my own practice. So officially I left the last group practice that I worked with in 2020 and decided, you know, relationships are my thing. This is the thing I care most about. This is what I want to do. This is what I want to put out into the world. Um, I learned through working with group practice and like I tried out one year, not being a contractor, but being a, a salaried employee. And what I learned is I don't like being told what to do. Um, they tried to make me work at another location. And I was like, but I don't want to work there. And they're like, well, if you want a salary, that's where you work. So I tried that out and really, really found that I'm not agreeable to being told what to do. Um, once you have a lot of flexibility and autonomy over the way you work and where you work, you just want to do what you want to do. So I got to the point where I had too much taste of the flexibility, the autonomy, the working when I want, the how I want, knowing who I wanted to work with. Um, I was just tired of the pushback and paying for things I could be paying who I wanted. So here we are now, 
2022, the own practice started. I run it myself. I get to do what I want when I want and serve the people that I want to help. And it's all about relationships. And it stems so much through that experience of struggling in relationships myself. Because uh, I went, what I went through in my family and just being able to help other people have great, meaningful relationships when maybe they didn't have a family that taught them how to do that. I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and you know, uh, so much to uh, dive into right there. And, you know, well, first, thank you for, for sharing all that. And congratulations to your brother. It's always good to hear the success that people do have with uh, the willingness to, you know, face problems that they're having and, and come out better on the other side. So I wanted to talk about a couple of different things. Um, first and foremost, you know, you talked about uh, the, the model of relationship that you see. And, you know, it's interesting, I, I come from divorced parents, but um, not the, the normal uh, divorced parents. Uh, my parents got divorced when I was an adult. Uh, I was 30. And my sister was 27. So it's a little bit different for us, because we we kind of were we were at that stage in our life where we were emotionally mature. So we we wanted our obviously our parents to be happy, which they're both back together with someone, um, a new partner. But the interesting story with that is uh, my my sister, myself, and my parents have all uh, have our own personal uh, relationship with divorce. My, my sister uh, got divorced in September of 2008. I got divorced for the first time in November of 2008, and my parents got divorced in February of 2009. So within a six-month time period, uh, our entire family was was divorced, and it was it was a lot to emotionally uh, grow through. But my sister, you know, like all of us, she found her her perfect match, and you know, for me. I had, uh, obviously, there was another marriage, um, you know, prior to Nancy, which obviously she knows I was married twice before, uh, prior to her. And I also had two other long-term relationships. And uh, like you, uh, you know, I, I, I thought about, is it me? You know, are, are there things that I should be doing, you know, better or differently? And I will 100% percent take ownership that I had a victim mentality for a long time. And, and that kind of stems from how I was raised. I was raised in that, that typical Jewish household where, you know, I was a mama's boy and whether I wanted to be one or not, my mom kind of forced that on me. She's going to, and she still tries to do everything for me, even though I'm 43 now, but you know, if there was an issue, then I would say, mom, dad, help. And you know, they would get figured out. And, you know, when I was then as an adult forced to deal with my own, you know, problems or issues, uh, like a, like a turtle, I would kind of, you know, scooch back into my shell. And uh, I, I would stumble over my words, I, I wouldn't be able to fully express how I was feeling, I would, you know, then play the blame game, like, it's, oh, it's, it's my fault, I suck, I'm like, and then I would, you know, play and I wouldn't even hear what the other person was saying. Now, the, the prior relationships, everything ended 
the way that it did for very good reason. It, it always takes two to tango. But what I, was, well, what I would say was I learned something significant about myself in every single one. I don't regret any of them. Um, I never wish bad upon anyone. Uh, I, I hope everyone found their happiness um, after whatever uh, the path that they went on after, you know, we went separate ways because it led me to my happiness and it led me to, to Nancy. But I would, I will say this, starting with my own therapy and getting help because I had a lot of baggage to unpack even prior to becoming a father and then getting divorced after becoming a parent. Uh, I, I was going to therapy because uh, I, I was not one of those individuals that was closed off that like, oh, only only sick people, only people that are, you know, really, you know, bad off need to go, you know, get help. You know, therapy is, in my opinion, is a very beautiful thing because there's something really eye-opening uh, that happens when you're talking to a neutral party. And I think a lot of people don't put enough value around the neutral party perspective because they're so used to, when you're, when you, it's okay to lean on family and friends and significant others, but they are, whether you know it or not, or whether they realize it or not, they're all impartial. They're on your side. They're in your corner. And yes, they'll be truthful. But when you have that, that neutral party that staring right at you and they're just hearing your bullshit and then calling you out on it and, you know, literally mapping out for you uh, patterns that you have or things that you should be acknowledging and working through. It's a very powerful thing. So it, it leads me to the big question. Why do you feel even in, in 2022, why do so many people still feel that therapy is such a, a taboo topic, e even when it relates to you know, couples therapy. Nancy and I were in therapy, not because there was anything wrong with us. Before we got married, you know, we, we met with uh, our therapist to talk about now becoming a blended family. Like, you know, what are some things that we should look out for? You know, how can we, you know, nip things in the bud as quickly as possible? Um, and even after we got married, when we decided we were going to start a family. So all these pivotal moments, we, we wanted a neutral party perspective there to help guide us the way that we would be able to best communicate with, with one another. So why do you feel it's still so taboo and people are still not as open as they should be to it? I mean, I think we've just got like the historical perspective that is just still there and we're overcoming it. And then I think, you know, we've got TV often portrays it as you're laying on this person's couch and some weird stuff is going on. A lot of TV therapists I, I, many TV therapists don't accurately match what happens in therapies. There are on occasions when I'm like, oh yes, that would happen in therapy. But I also think TV gives it a bit of a bad rap. Um, and I think people have it in their head. Just It's just this old notion still from, we've got it from our parents, from culture, that it's something you do once you're in trouble. It's kind of our medical model of you go to the doctor once you already have the infection. We don't think about preventative medicine which is very unfortunate because many couples wait too long to get therapy. Most couples on average, the research tells us that they come after six years of having the same problem. 
And if you think about any problem, you've had it for six years, it's deeply entrenched, it's infected, it's a wound. Whereas if you got that same cut when it was just a little scratch before you had the infection and the whole problem would be so much easier to treat. But I think a lot of it is just still the old, the old stigma. It's starting to go away, but it's just, uh, whew, there's so many old beliefs, values, and the way it's portrayed that really get in the way. So you have shows like The Ultimatum, uh, Love at First Sight, uh, Married at First Sight, 90 Day Fiance. So you have, and, and Nancy will tell you, we feel so good about ourselves when we, we watch these shows because they're absolute train wrecks. But I, I also, I feel that, as you mentioned, like with, with Hollywood and, and, and the way that, that uh, therapy is portrayed, I, I feel that Hollywood is now portraying relationships in a certain manner where, you know, they have matchmakers that, that put these two people together that on paper, you know, seem like a perfect fit. And, you know, love is blind. You, you date through a wall where you can't see the person and you have to make that emotional connection. And then the physical connection comes after that. And that, like, so and and the ultimatum, which was ridiculous, it was uh, one person wants to get married and gives the other person an ultimatum, and they have to date another person for six weeks or three weeks, and then date their original person for three weeks and decide if they want to marry that person or go in a different direction. So I, I look at how even relationships now are being Hollywoodized, if that's even a word. Where it, it, I don't know if it's to make people introspectively look within themselves and realize, hey, we're at, we actually have a pretty good relationship, or realize, well, maybe we should, maybe we should do some work on ourselves. What's your take on how Hollywood has now kind of impeded on the makeup of, of what a real relationship should be? I mean, I think Hollywood makes it complicated. <laughs> it makes it very complicated about what it should be and uh, sets us up for some unrealistic expectations. And it, it's, it's, I mean, Hollywood is going to put out whatever sells, right? And love and relationships is something that we all, for the most part, want. It's pretty universal. So it's a pretty easy topic to, to go after. But just whatever you see on TV, be careful, because the main message behind TV is they're going to show what sells. And so what sells isn't always um, research-based and actually good for you. Do you feel the divorce rate would be different, meaning better, if as a society we weren't so overstimulated with the over-availability of dating apps and being able to choose? And I, I just feel, you know, again, we're sort of the same age. I know you're younger than, than me, but you know, I'm seeing more people around our age, single or divorced and single and having trouble finding, you know, the right person. So they're on the, the self-discovery journeys, which everybody should go on that. You got to find out who you are before you, you know, give yourself to someone else. Do you feel that like social media and all these things play some sort of numbing role in some of the difficulties that people are having finding the right person? 
maybe this is an area I've done a lot of research in. So all of my opinions would be like antidotal. So I don't actually know what the research is, but I certainly think there's many people that uh, there's more available alternatives at any given point. So it's easier to, if you think about like, if I work it through with this person who's just betrayed me, or do I work it through with this person who's just really hurt me? Why would I do that when, when I can just be happy with somebody else? Um, so I think there's, there's just a lot more possibility of available alternatives out there that makes it easier to leave um, rather than working through the hard stuff to stay. Now, do you see uh, as, as we progress as a society, do you see the divorce rate getting better? Do you see you know, more people being more open and willing to work on the issues they have? Because again, you know, it, it just, it, you know, something that I told Nancy, you know, on our first date, you know, she, you know, she said, you know, are you still open to, to getting married a third time? And I said, absolutely. And she said, well, what has you so open to marriage? And I said, I love the thought and the concept of being a team and being a unit and growing together. So that's something that was always attractive to me. And, uh, you know, Simon Sinek wrote a great book called Together is Better. You know, my, and even though my parents did get divorced after, you know, 33 years of marriage, they, they were not an unloving couple. There was a lot of love. It, it just, it got to the point, you know, they, they were married for 33 years. They were, they dated, they were together since they were like 13. They, they were, they knew each other for 40 plus years at that point. Things happen. So I didn't have a bad example of what love or what a healthy relationship was. And that's why I always believed in it. And, you know, my sister kind of helped me through all that because after I got divorced for the second time, I did go on that little self-discovery journey and just kind of like getting back to myself and being a dad and just kind of figuring things out. And, you know, of course I was back in therapy again, uh, but I, I never, I never lost hope. I never gave up. I always knew that there was someone out there for me. And, you know, what, what's, what's your take on, Again, I, it's such an interesting statistic that you said that the people usually wait six years after a problem has occurred to do something about it. Do you still feel that people are afraid to acknowledge there's a problem and we need to go to therapy for this? Yeah, I think people like they don't, there's, there's different degrees of that. Like some people don't want to think something is a problem. They don't want to have problems. They think if we have problems, then we're doomed instead of recognizing every couple has problems. Um, of course you're gonna have problems and let's, let's figure out how to overcome those problems together rather than try to not have problems. And then there's a lot of people that just wanna figure it out themselves but they don't have the skills or the tools. Like the thing is, as a, as a humans, we pair bond. So as babies, as infants, we pair bond with our primary caregiver, usually our mother. Um, and then as we turn into adulthood, we pair bond with someone who we choose to be our partner. And so we are designed to bond with other people. Just some of us bond to one person for long periods of time. And some of us, we don't have the tools to keep that connection in place. And so then we bond to one and then we might be single for a while and then we bond to another. So yeah, it's, um, I think people want to be in relationships. They want to work through problems. One of the things I think that I see a lot of in today's culture is like, 
being like, you should be, be happy always. If you're in love and you're in a relationship, like it should always be rainbows and sunshine. And like, they should always treat you right and always be the best, which is like, great. Yeah. Like most of the time they should be great to you. And most of the time they should treat you great. But I think some of in popular culture, what we're taught about how great things should always be negates that like real relationships still struggle. How are you going to get through the hard times? What are you going to go through? Like, how do you stick together when it's bleak? So yeah, we want to have a relationship that outweighs like the good outweighs the bad, but a long-term pair bond requires you to figure out how do we stay bonded even when things aren't very good? I mean, you know, when Nancy got diagnosed with kidney cancer, that was a very unplanned thing that we had to deal with. And, Mm. but I knew as her husband, you know, we're going to get through this together. You know, you, you are going through this, but you're not going through it alone. And I did whatever I could to progress through that in the best and easiest way. So we can get back to what, whatever our typical normal is. And it was, it was rough. I mean, seeing the, the, the person that you are madly in love with in pain and discomfort, but also being the person uh, that's looking at the, the person that you married for the rest of your life, knowing they just got a phone call saying that it is a, you know, a positive cancer result. I mean, emotionally, I had to, I had to, to deal with that too, because again, you know, she's part of me, but you, you work through those things and you do it together on a, on a personal note, obviously you've, you've progressed through your life as an adult and obviously as a, as a wife, what do you feel from uh, Amber when she was in her early twenties to Amber now in her thirties? What do you feel is the biggest difference from a, a, a personal standpoint of, of changes that you've made looking back at the, the younger you that, that was having some problems in her relationship. And it, it just seemed to never work to being, you know, in a wonderful marriage with your husband and, you know, the life that you guys are living now, what do you, what do you think that big, that swing was for you from your twenties into your thirties that you made? Yeah, that's a great question. So one of the first swings was understanding some of those early patterns and what I was attracted to in relationships and how come. So I like you, I'm divorced. So my first marriage ended very quickly. We were only married for 10 months. Um, and after I got out of that marriage is when I really went to my training and I was like, what the heck just happened there? Like nobody gets married to get divorced, right? Like that's not, it's not why you do it. Um, and what I really quickly began to recognize is because of my early family system was unstable. Um, I didn't get emotional care, emotional nurture. It was inconsistent. It was unpredictable. One day things were good. And you felt like love in that you were a family and you were all together. We didn't say, I love you though. We didn't hug. Um, And that was contrasted to these swings of like violence in our home, drinking, chaos, uh, yelling, screaming. So how love began to be defined in my mind's eye cycled um, from like peaceful content, like distant peaceful content to chaos and instability. And then finally be content again to be like, phew, relief, like we're okay to chaos and stability. And this is what made sense in my head for what love was. So when I got married the first time, I married someone who couldn't provide emotional nurture and connection, who 
wasn't um, didn't wasn't loving with their words and their actions that didn't have a lot of time or attention for me. And that was also caught up in kind of um, a drinking pattern or cycle where I would, you know, find empty beer bottles in the bathroom or here and there. And we'd have these cycles of chaos and turbulence followed by a distant kind of calm. And so what I was able to see is although I picked a partner who in many ways was very different from my family of origin, our cycle and patterns replicated the same cycle and patterns that I was familiar with as a kid. So once I got familiar with what was I doing, I was able to then come back to my drawing board and think what would I want a relationship to be like. So I had to think that I could feel intense attraction or chemistry to someone who could provide me inconsistency, instability, followed by love and peacefulness and adoration. But then we'd come back to like, I would feel like, does he care about me? I don't know. He's distant. Does he even want to be with me anymore? So then things would be fine again. And it was that cycle of instability that felt like chemistry or attraction for me. And I had to realize that this wasn't um, secure, stable love. This was a bit of like a unhelpful trauma-y cycle. So once I was able to see what I was attracted to, I was able to kind of go, go to my drawing board and think, what do I want a relationship to be like? And I had this one really vivid turning point where um, after my divorce, I was living with my boss in her basement and um, I had to go upstairs to the kitchen to get some food. And I was walking up the stairs and as I got up the stairs in their living room, I heard her and her husband and their little girl laughing and they were laughing. They're playing a game. And I just stood there at the top of the stairs and it sounded like love and joy. And I just had tears streaming down my face because I didn't realize families could sound like that, could sound like laughter and fun and playing. Like I had great parents, just we weren't, my family was not equipped to deal with the kinds of difficulties we had in our home. Um, and so in that moment, I was able to imagine like, what if I had a relationship where on the weekends we sat around an ottoman and played a board game and we laughed and that was the sound in my house. What would that be like? So I had to imagine what was possible for me. And I, I would imagine like a great big whiteboard and like I'm drawing this picture of my life that could be erased if I didn't like it. And I would keep coming to that. And I would think like, these are the main criteria I need in someone. This is what I really want to see and here's why. And then I started kind of dating and, and playing with that um, until I found someone that I liked enough, that was special enough that I didn't feel like I was stuck in that same cycle. I was easily drawn to it though. Um, but I had to get out of it. And then with my current partner, I had to learn what my triggers were. So there's things that he can do that trigger that, that familiar pattern for me, that like that instability or feeling like he's not going to be there for me, or he's not going to care about my needs. And I can get right worked up and do some uh, pretty unhealthy things myself. So, you know, I'll go into some of those. So like I can yell and threaten the relationship and give you a good ultimatum. I can be really harsh and contemptuous. But I, what I had to get honest with was like, okay, if I want a loving relationship, I can't, I can't do those things. Like I can't do the things that I know are toxic for relationships. I can't, you know, throw a little bit of poison on the relationship in hopes it turn into flowers. And that's what I was doing because that was the cycle that I was used to. So I had to be willing to see what the cycle was and how I participate in the cycle and recognize that while I did that automatically, that's what I was taught. That's what came natural to me. That's what was genuine. That's what a lot of people get hung up on. Well, it's genuine. I know it's genuine. It's what you've been doing for your whole lives. It doesn't mean it's good for you. I had to be willing, keyword, willing to put an action to change. So with my husband, at one point he said he wasn't going to marry me if I didn't stop my contemptuous ultimatum -y things. He said he loved me, but this was not tolerable for him. So I was hurt, but he was right. I had to be willing to stop these things. 
So I literally, you know, went to therapy and I did the homework in my bedroom. And a lot of my clients, they don't do their homework. They don't do the written paper pencil stuff. They don't want to think about what they would do differently, but I had to, I had to sit there in my bedroom on my patio, writing out what I could do differently instead, because it wasn't automatic for me to say, my feelings are hurt and I'm scared you're gonna leave me. Or I felt really jealous just when you kissed that girl on the cheek goodbye. I didn't know how to say those things. They didn't feel genuine or authentic or normal for me to just calmly state what was going on, to even be able to recognize it. And I had to practice and I had to do the work. And I had to, so it was one, recognizing my patterns. Two, choosing a partner that didn't replicate those patterns most of the time. Three, when he did things in our current relationship that triggered my old patterns, I had to be willing to see my part and take action to do it differently. Um, and then, you know, for, we worked on it together. But a lot of what I had to do here, he's, he's right, we've done work as a couple, but I really had to be willing to show up very differently. So I can't remember the last time I yelled at him, thank goodness. I can't remember the last time I gave him an ultimatum, thank goodness. And I, I look back at that person, I'm horrified at how I showed up with him. But I had to be willing and learn to change. And now being calm and speaking out my feelings, that feels genuine. But it took effort and willingness and practice and persistence and trial and error to learn to be a very different person in a relationship. Willingness to change is a, a big thing because... Mm -hmm. You know, you, you see this all the time. Nancy would tell you this, like, you know, in, in one of her relationships, you know, it was a constant back and forth. They would, they were together, they broke up, things were good for a little while, pattern repeated, she would break up with them. And it was that, that back and forth. And when someone is not willing to acknowledge the things that they need to work on, like I, I said earlier, it takes two to tango. It, it's there, the, everyone is a trigger. Uh, and a response or an action or a reaction for something. And you have to acknowledge what those things are to work through them together. And again, I'm very aware of, you know, my patterns, my behaviors and, and things like um, I, I remember to the day, you know, Nancy and I, we were engaged and we were out to dinner. We were going to go see the Nutcracker. It was when we, the first year we were starting dating and uh, I, brought out the victim card at dinner. And she said, listen, from this day forward, she goes, if this is, this relationship is going to work, if we're going to progress with this, you are never going to play the victim card ever again. You own your stuff and we work through it together. And that was the last time that I played the victim card. And she allowed me to turn the mirror around because again, for, for people that are listening to this, that may also play the victim card. The reason why you play the victim card is because you actually want to avoid the conflict. You want to avoid the confrontation. So the easiest thing, and I was the king of avoiding confrontations, right? I could tell someone else how I felt, but when it came to talking to that person, I wouldn't do it. Or I would blame me, or I would you know, find a way to play that victim card. But when you actually are like, all right, I'm going to own it. I'm wrong. I'm at fault. Let's talk about this. Let's work through it to make sure that it never happens again. Or if we feel a pattern coming up, how can we work through that pattern to break it, to progress forward in a meaningful way? So you said a, 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 a bunch of amazing things, but the one thing that I want to go back to is something that you talked about knowing exactly what you wanted. And 
I, I feel that maybe in someone's head or on a piece of paper, they have a checklist of what they think they want in someone else, but there's two sides to it. There's what you want and actually with what you want, will that person fit who you are? Because again, we, on your podcast, we talked about the five love languages and, and making sure that you're filling the cup of your partner, not with your love languages, but with how their love languages are. Do you feel that there's a lot of people that, that actually don't know what it is that they want in a partner and a relationship? Yes. I think some people don't know. They just like kind of start dating or they know like what they want them to look like, (laughs) or they know what they want in response to someone not doing something. So they can point out what someone did wrong. But if you say, well, what do you wish they did? They struggle with that. They'll just continue to point out what they didn't want. So, yeah, I think it's, I think very many people do not know what they want and you have to get real with that. And I think you're talking a little bit about like So for example, what I wanted was a stable, safe relationship that was long lasting. But as I told you, I was busy throwing poison on my relationship, hoping it would turn into flowers. So one of the things I had to work on, so I, you know, I had it all drawn out. This is what I wanted. I I knew emotionally what I wanted, physically what I wanted, kind of person I wanted. I generally, I found him, but I kept throwing my poison on it, hoping I kept saying, that's it. I'm done hoping for stability. Well, you're not going to get stability if you're going to keep saying that's it, you're done. So you do have to recognize this is what you want and be willing to grow to match it. So I had to do a lot of work to become the person that could have that. It doesn't just like snap your fingers and you get, it's like the kind of the metaphor, the meme you see on Instagram, um, wish for biceps and and God's going to give you a barbell, uh, a dumbbell. And that's the kind of thing. Like I wished for safe and stable and the universe gave me a relationship where I had to up level and, and say how I felt without being, contemptuous or critical that, you know, the universe gave me this beautiful person that I had to match and own my behavior so that I could, I could continue to nurture and water that. (sighs) I mean, it's such an interesting time that we're living in right now. And for one, I just want to say thank you to you because, you know, you've created some amazing ways of how people can do better as individuals, as partners, um, in a relationship with with some of the courses that 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 you've come out with and, and have created, which we're going to talk about in a second. So, with all this overstimulation that we always talk about with social media and all of the distractions that are out there, uh, how how do you and your husband best disconnect so you you have that time together? Um, a, and I would say part two of that. What, what do you feel couples listening to this could do better at to strengthen the bonds um, and the relationships that they have? And I will say on a side note, I am making sure that I hug Nancy for at least 20 seconds. Just want to say that. I'm just, I'm just letting you know, I, 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 I take your advice. It's one of her Instagram reels. It creates this, I mean, I hug her for a long time as it is, but I just said to her the other day, if more couples would hug for 20 seconds, they would form a better connection. They just have to do it. So, yeah. Yeah. So 
how do we like there's all this stuff competing for our attention disconnection so one of the things my husband and i he doesn't know that this is what it's called we call it like different things between us but i'll give you the formal title it's creating rituals of connection so it's time just for you too that you have your undivided time your phones are away you're not doing anything else that is your time to connect so there is like a science-based like kind of formula to how much time you actually need for this for it to work out but in our home like what that is is it's usually at nine o'clock. We're adjusting it right now. So we're going through this weird transition phase, but usually at nine o'clock, that is our time where we're both free and we get together and we usually chat for a small amount of time. And then we watch a TV show and you're not on your phone with the TV show. You're not texting your buddy. Like we're together, usually silently most times and we're there together doing that's our time. We also, if we, if we're having dinner together, there's an, we have an agreement that's kind of, you're not on your phone. If we don't have anything to say, then we'll have, I know you and Nancy do this as well. We have like table cards where we pull a card and we just talk about the card on the table. You know, you see someone every day. Sometimes the truth is you just run out of things to say. So don't be afraid to pull up a conversation topic, give you something else to talk about. So you're, you're staying connected. You're staying talking. So we might only do that for five minutes or 10 minutes, but it's undivided attention for that five or 10 minutes. One thing my husband and I are pretty good with is checking. Like, just cause I see my eyes on my husband. I know that doesn't mean he is free. And I think that happens a lot in my past relationships. A lot of the couples I work with, you see your partner, you think, oh, there you are chopping vegetables, you're free, but they're actually thinking about the kids or gardening or work. And so it's checking in like, hey, are you free right now? Would it be an okay time to talk? Then if they say yes, then you continue on. But if they say no, then you don't keep going. You know, we have so many things going on in our heads at any given time, we're, we're open to missing each other if we don't check in and create times where we're both willing to pay attention and talk at the same time. So a lot of this comes back down to willingness because you have to be willing to give your partner your undivided attention sometimes when you want to. You know, sometimes people think back that an objection I hear is people like, oh, but in the beginning, it was so easy. It just felt genuine. Well, of course it did. Cause in the beginning of a relationship, we go through the honeymoon phase or we can call it limerence. And the, the goal of that phase biologically, evolutionary speaking, is to keep you together long enough to have a kid. We're filled with dopamine, decreased serotonin, we have more oxytocin, your pheromones are going crazy. Like, of course you wanna talk till 4 a.m. and go on dates every day and spoil each other. Yeah, cause your bodies are going crazy. But guess what, that phase ends. Sometime between two weeks and two years in, that kind of goes away and your brain isn't going off like, you know, fireworks every time you see each other anymore. It's just kind of like registering neutral. So we have to be willing to put down our phones, to put down the distractions, to connect with that person we love. So to strengthen bonds of your relationship. So he doesn't know that I do this, but like in my head, you know, I got like my little science check boxes. Are we doing these things? And I don't like I'm not his therapist, right? I'm his wife. So the poor guy, I don't like, I'm like, oh, did you know, have we done this today? You know, I'm like, I'll say things like what would be in, in, so we're trying to negotiate. I'm done work earlier at night. We're going to bed earlier these days. So we had a conversation last night about on our weeknights now that we're both done work earlier, would we like to spend more time together? If we do spend more time together, what are we going to do in this time? Like what are, what is our shared expectation? So we talked about doing things we don't typically do. Do we want to pick up board games? Do we want to play cards? Like, what do we want to do? Because we usually watch TV, but we're like, would we like to change that? We have dinner together. Would we like to, and we have our table card topics. Would we like to change that? So there's a few things to make sure that we have time and it's creating rituals to connect. So the Gottmans in their research have identified kind of six hours a week of certain tasks you're doing that can help strengthen your connection and just 
make sure that you're in a good state. So I'll just quickly tell you what they are. Their departure, so saying goodbye before you leave for work or go to your separate offices if you work in the same house. Their reunions, so at the end of the night or once your work days are done and, and checking in and getting back together and chatting as a couple. This is usually like 20 minutes checking in about your days. You could be using conversation cards if you need to, but it's a little bit of talk. No, it's 20 minutes. I'm not saying two hours, just a check in here. Uh, we have departures, reunions, um, like a time each week to address your issues. So you know, if you're out on a beautiful date and you're feeling romantic and all of a sudden you just remembered that you're mad that they keep putting their wet towels on the bed, like maybe that's not the time to bring it up. But sometimes because it's the only time you're seeing each other, it's the only time you're talking, you're addressing your business of your relationship on your beautiful date. What is so hard for us all is like, you know, we wear so many hats. So if you can kind of think about running the business of your relationship at a separate time and carving out some time to talk about issues, that can be a whole other thing. Dating one to two hours a week. Go on a date with your partner. Doesn't have to be big, doesn't have to be extravagant, but like go down to a coffee shop, go to the beach, go for a walk, try a new restaurant, like get on a blog of whatever your city is and see what the new thing in town is. Go there. Don't stop dating your spouse. If you want to have a connection like when you were dating, date. I was just telling Scott that on Saturday, he's like, are you a Raptors fan? Because uh, our, our cities are playing. And I was like, well, you know, I'm not committed, but on Saturday, we went to a bar for the purpose of watching the Raptors game. They have this huge screen they put up. One, like basketball isn't my favorite sport in the world. It's not my husband's either. And just sports aren't my favorite thing, but he is my favorite thing. So we were planning this date and he's like, what do you want to do? And I'm like, I want to go dancing. And he's like, I want to watch the sports game. So we went and watched the Raptors. And then we went to a bar and went dancing. So, you know, we compromised. It was like this thing where I, I probably am not going to go with my girlfriends to watch the Raptors unless they're in like the finals of the playoffs that then I would, but you know, all the other times I'm not going to be watching basketball, but for him, I will. So it's don't stop being interested in doing the dates because you're interested in your partner. If you think about early dating, we probably go on dates that aren't our favorite thing, but we go on them because we like the person we're going with. So go on dates. That's two hours a week. I think I've gotten through four of them. Uh, expressing fondness and admiration for each other. So talk about the things you're doing right. Don't forget relationships are a bank account. So you need to express through your words and actions, things that are good. So when you see your partner, I love you. Love that shirt on you. You're my favorite. Thanks for doing the dishes. Oh my gosh, you picked up the kids today. That was amazing. Talk about what you're doing right. Because in, in your relationship, if your relationship is like a bank account, you need a ratio on your day in, day out, a ratio of 20 positive interactions per one negative interaction to get your neutral. And in conflict conversations, it's five positives for one negative. So that's a lot of good. So if just five minutes a day, we're thinking about how can I say and do positive things for my partner? And the last is touch. If I can work in like five minutes a day of touch, non-sexual or could be sexual touch with my partner. So hold their hand, snuggle with them, give them a hug, give them a kiss. And when we do this, this total six hours a week of working on your relationship, which can be just you know a couple minutes, less than an hour a day, where you're finding ways to be connected to your spouse, but it's intention, willingness to be part of the relationship. Relationships don't just happen. They're not just magically good. Even beautiful, amazing relationships take work. And that's why they're beautiful and amazing. The grass isn't greener on the other side. The grass is greener where you water it, right? Oh, I mean, I couldn't agree more. You know, Nancy and I are always doing things like we have different rules. Like when we go to the basement now to watch TV or watch a sporting event, our phones stay upstairs. When we go to the gym in the morning, our phones stay upstairs. When we go to sit down for dinner, phones stay on the counter. Like 
you know, we, we just are putting boundaries around because we don't want to distract ourselves from our relationship. We want to be, um, even though we work from home and her office is upstairs and mine is downstairs, we do meet up in the middle certain times during the day. And, you know, at the end of the day, how was your day? And, you know, even though we work from home, we still have those check-ins. So I, I think everything that you said was so spot on. And, and I, I want people, uh, if they need to, listen to this as many times over as you can, because there was so much gold given in this episode. Amber, before we get to my, my final question, tell the audience a little bit about some of the programs and some of the courses that you've created to help uh, people that are in relationships or dating or are couples and are looking to better themselves. So tell everyone a little bit about those things. Yeah. So the first thing is I'll just say those six things I went over. I have a free guide that outlines them. So it's called the six small things successful and loving couples do. So I'll give Scott the link. So you can just go and get that there. So you have a copy of those six things, how many minutes each day to lead to your six hours a week to be doing those to improve your relationship. So I have a whole section of free guides on my website, which you can check out and see if there's any that come to you. But my main course that I have uh, right now is what I call what it's called communication cures. And the goal of that is to help couples learn to talk to each other so that you can have that loving, long-lasting relationship that withstands the test of time. Because we fall in love with this person to be feel connected and close, and no one wants to feel alone. And so many of us have that experience of talking to our partner, and we just, they're like, but you don't get me. You're not hearing me. You're not understanding me. Or even worse, you're trying to express something for the purposes of being closer, and you feel more disconnected. It's like you're two islands, and you don't know how to build that bridge between you. So my course communication cures, the, the goal there is to give you a common language for how to build a bridge between you be, so you can feel more interconnected, you can feel seen, you can feel heard, you can feel understood. So that person that you love feels like, you know, when you're talking to them, they feel like that warm bomb that's like this amazing place to hang out, or at the very least, not an adversary, if you're talking about a heart issue. So that's, um, that's my biggest course communication cure is designed for couples. Uh, that's the biggest, that's the biggest course from right now. Uh, that's my main course, I guess, helping couples to communicate with each other to build a better relationship. Awesome. And, and both of those links, uh, obviously to Amber's freebie and the course will be in the description of this episode. So I highly encourage you to get both, not just the freebie, check out the course, because again, these things have been created to help other people. And, uh, you know, Amber has that heart of service to uh, work with as many people as she can. Uh, obviously, she's in uh, Toronto and, um, you know, a lot of people are all over the country and all over the world. And this is a way to understand Amber's strategy and techniques through this course. And I think there's so many people that are grateful. I know Nancy and I are that you created these courses because it's going to help a lot of people. Um, it's going to save a lot of relationships and it's going to bring a lot of people closer together. So very, very happy that you did that. So final question before we sign off, what does success truly mean to you? That's a good question. Success means waking up feeling like there's a bounce in your step, a little bit of joy in your heart, and you feel confident that what you have set your mind to, you will achieve. Now, it doesn't mean it's exactly how you thought it would be, but you've been willing to take the risk to get close to the thing and it has turned out to be that or something better or 
a belief that even if you're not there yet, you can get there. I believe you can have success in your heart before you see the success on paper. Um, that's why I think I kind of started success. When I hear that word, it feels like it should be a tangible thing. But to me, it feels like a feeling. A feeling of like lightness, bouncing your step and hope. Love that. So good. I know this is uh, for everyone that's listening. I know this is a uh, a non-traditional longer episode, but when you get on a roll, you just have to let it flow. And that's what we did today. And this was amazing. And uh, I was so excited for this interview. And I, I was so happy and grateful that you uh, were open to coming on the program and just, you know, just thank you for everything that you do for, for all the people that you, you do it for. And uh, Nancy popped her head and she said, hi, and uh, we're both grateful for you. Um, you know, not only for the work that you do, but uh, for the friend that you are to both of us. And, you know, uh, we just appreciate you so much. And, and for me, thank you so much for being on today, here today. Just so grateful for you and all the, the nuggets of wisdom that you dropped on my audience. I know they are going to absolutely love it. And uh, just really appreciate you. And thank you again so much for being here. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm just absolutely delighted. And I hope, I hope your audience took something from this. Well, I'm sure they will. And they're going to download everything. And they're going to get that course because I, I really feel it'll help so many people. And uh, as always, everybody, please do hop over to what, over, whatever listening platform you're on, whether it's Anchor or Spotify. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, leave a rating and review. Let us know specifically what you loved most about this episode. We would love to hear from you. So everyone, please enjoy the rest of your days and I'll talk to you next time. Bye everyone. Thank you so much again for checking out today's episode. And if you are listening through iTunes, Spotify, wherever you are, please leave me a rating and review. Let me know what you loved, what you would like to see improved or ideas you have for future episodes. And if you are interested in taking your business to the next level, don't hesitate to go to my website, www.scotterron.net where you can schedule a free discovery call with me where I can learn more about you, your business, what you're struggling with and how we can work together. And don't forget to check out my wife, Nancy and mine, our free community on Facebook called LinkedIn Leads for Life. We would love to see you in there. Have a great rest of your day and thank you everyone for your support. Grateful for each and every one of you.